You are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. This is week four of a series called Living for the Return. Ultimately, living for the return of Jesus. Now, we walked through three weeks in this book called First Thessalonians, and next week we're going to move to Second Thessalonians, uh, and we'll talk about it. But I want to take you back to week one. Week one started with this uh, Paul's remembrance of the testimony of the church at Thessalonica, how they're not who they used to be, nor who they could have ended up becoming based on the fact that they had new life in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is that you have a testimony, that you have a story of how God, you're not who you used to be, and you're neither are you who you could have become without Jesus Christ because you have new life in Jesus. And so next Sunday, as Preston said, we're going to have those that have, uh, have uh, been, ba- been born again, surrendered to Jesus. They're going to go public with their faith through baptism, and, uh, and we celebrate it's crazy as we as we walk through this book, the Holy Spirit has continued to draw people's hearts to Jesus on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, and it's been awesome. But week one was about a testimony. Week two, we talked about Paul's daily awareness message. I've seen some of you still wearing these rubber bands, and they're like, why do you have a rubber band on? It's because of the pop, remember? To make you daily aware, daily aware of a few things that Satan will attack. You have an enemy. That's what Paul wrote this book for. You have an enemy that, that seeks to destroy you. Also to make you aware that one day when the Lord returns, we're going to stand before him. And as we stand before him, we'll stand with all of the kingdom church to give an account. And so to remind us that we need to be aware. Last week, we looked at probably one of my, the first time I've ever preached a message on this subject, but the rapture of the church. This time in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapters 5, it talks about the church instantaneously being removed from the world. And that day is coming. All those who have died in Christ and all those who are still alive in Christ will be raised to meet Jesus in the air. And so we talked about uh, what that actually looked like. And so church, I believe that the, uh, that the return of Jesus is imminent. Kind of tells you where I lean, and I'm not saying you can't have a different leaning as far as when's Jesus coming back, but my leaning would be that like Paul, Paul thought Jesus could come at any minute And so I'm kind of leaning into that idea, too, as I've studied Scripture and going, I think Jesus could come at any minute and remove his church. And so I want to take you back to one of those foundational principles, only one this week. There's four of them. You can go back and catch the others in other series, but uh, in in other messages in this series. But here's the one principle that I want to to take us back to before we get into the, the, the Word today. Everything the Bible has to say about end times is for what? It's meant to start urgency in how we live right now. That's it. You can rest in that fact. As a follower of Christ, you can rest in it. See, it's meant not to stir division or disunity or discord. It's meant to stir urgency. Everything you read in this book called Revelation in the end of your Bible where there's hard things to understand. There's some things we do understand, some things we can't. It's meant to stir urgency in our hearts, but it's also meant to reshape our priorities. That's why urgency Stop procrastinating. Start procrastinating. Start doing what matters now. Find courage to press through your fear. For sometimes we just need that, that reminder of urgency when you're raising kids. I need to make some changes in my life, and I don't need to put it off anymore. I need to make them today. I need to make some changes in, in my relationship with my spouse, and I don't need to put it off. I need to do it today. It's not just the fact that we're going to take our last breath one day. Jesus could return at any moment. I mean, the Lord could set the end in motion. 
it should also stir an urgency in us to be prepared when he returns, when the rapture takes place. And so today, we're going to end 1 Thessalonians, this book, with the last section of chapter 5. Paul closes this letter by summing up most of everything he's just said. And I want to start at the very end, and then we're going to go back to the middle of the chapter and walk through. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, here's what he said. Summing up this entire letter, closing it out, he says, May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, and he will come again. And Paul believed 1900 and something years ago that he was coming again. He says, God will make this happen because you is faithful. And so Paul wasn't just writing or praying. He was speaking a public you know there's power in your words. Do you know that sometimes your voice just may be the voice of God and someone else, especially as you're directed by the Spirit and you speak truth and you speak encouragement? And so Paul here is going, may God make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, body, soul be kept blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God set you apart more every single day. And so God gives this promise that he will make it happen, for he who calls you is holy. And so sometimes we can feel guilty in our struggle areas because you go, look, man, I know you're talking about being called to holiness, but I got this struggle in my life, and I got this thing I keep going back to, and I thought it had it, I thought I had it whooped, but then I find myself going back to it again and again. I feel guilty. I feel overwhelmed, like I can't be holy. How could I do this? But, but the truth is, you got to go back to verse 24. God will make it happen. Why? Because he is faithful. Let me show you, Paul explains this idea to the church at Philippi, and it says, I'm certain that God, who began the work within you, because here's the thing, God is the one who initiated your salvation. He came to you. He chased you down. He begins that good work within you. When he sealed you with his spirit, he will continue this work until it is finished on the day that Christ returns. And so God doesn't give up on you. There's so many of uh, people that are part of Riverbend Church now, and you're brand new to the faith. You just come in, and you're experiencing Jesus, and this is not hard to grasp for you, because you're going, man, I, I'm changing. God's making me new. But sometimes I know that I'm talking to a lot of my friends, and you've been a believer a long time, and at some point in time, you stop becoming a new creation. Things, old you creeps up, and life circumstances come over you, and so you need to be reminded of this. God who started the good work in you, he is faithful and he will bring it to completion. So let's start out with a statement based on this idea that God started the work, God will bring it to completion, he's faithful. When it comes to living for the return, here's what you have to wrestle to the ground. God does not expect anything from me that he hasn't made possible for me. He doesn't expect anything from you that he hasn't made possible for you. And so this message of hope and encouragement today is for those who maybe you have given up on God in an area of your life. Sometimes as pastor, I get to pray with people who've been praying about circumstances in their life for a long time, and it's like, you're working slow here. Like, why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen in the way that you have? I've been praying for healing. I've been praying for wholeness again, and Lord, when's it going to come? And sometimes you feel like just giving up on God in an area, or you give up on yourself. That's probably the one. People still tip their hat to God, 
But it's just kind of settling for less than God's best because you go, but God, it's just me. It's just who I am with those struggles and those wrestlings. Or you've given up on somebody you love. Isn't it hard to keep praying for those that you love when you don't see God working on your timing? Or we're way too holy to admit that because it's Sunday morning. You're like, come on, man. Sometimes we pray for people, and, and it's like you feel like you prayed for too long, and God, you didn't work on my timing, so I tap. All right, forget it. Here's what you need to go. God does not dangle carrots out in front of you. When he makes a promise in his word, it will come to pass in his timing. Hang in there. So I'm speaking to those who've been following Jesus for a while right now. God is not expecting anything from you that he is not going to make possible for you. That's not how God works. His very nature, when he calls you to be holy by the spirit, by the cross, by his blood, he has also empowered you to be holy. And so the Holy Spirit wants to, hear, wants to hear everything we're about to unpack in this scripture. He wants to hear you to hear this today, that it is possible. Just look at somebody beside you and say, it is possible. Uh, you didn't believe it, so I need, you to, I need you to help me again one more time. Just tell them, say, it is possible. You sort of believed it that time. Good. But there's a caveat here. Did you know that the path to possibility comes at a cost? found in our culture, many Christians have decided that they're not sure if, it's will, if they're willing to pay the cost for holiness, if they're willing to pay the cost for possibility in Christ. Because what is the cost? It's not free. It's not, I said a prayer when I was 10, and I'm good now because God's just going to bring it to completion in my life. You're not just a robotic agent. You're not just there expecting God to do everything. So what does it look like if God has promised that it is possible for you to be exactly who he called you to be, for you to be holy and mind, heart, soul, body, strength, all be kept blameless till the day of the Lord. It's possible. But what does it require of you? Well, that's where Paul's about to get into in the text today. And here's what I want to show you. The path to possible is through this, radical obedience to the word and daily surrender to the Holy Spirit. Radical obedience, daily surrender. Now, those are kind of church answers in a lot of ways, but there's none better than this. It's where God is making new life possible in every area of our lives now. It's where that and living for the return of Jesus intersect. What do we do now in this season? And so Paul lays out some commands for the church at Thessalonica that I think we have to wrestle with if we want to be ready for the return. And here's what he says, going back to chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12. He says, brothers and sisters, those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. For they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. You're like, I need that for my teenager right now. Encourage those, underline that one. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other, all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. 
Now, I don't know if you're like me when I first read this. Everything else flows sort of like a narrative. It's telling a story. And it's almost like Paul ran out of paper and he needed to say everything in like two last paragraphs. Because he's like, poof, poof. I mean, he just, these, these three, three word sentences and he's just blasting us with it. But I want to walk back through this passage today and look with these eyes. Living for the return of Jesus, what does it look like to live with radical obedience and daily surrender? And the first one is not, it's not spoken here specifically, it is implied. Now, I got this from the overarching teaching of the, of the New Testament, but also to this letter that Paul has written, there was an expectation when it came to radical obedience and daily surrender, and here it is, that everyone would stay engaged in the local church. That is a choice that believers can make. That also is a daily surrender. I want to be a part of it constantly. And so the church is the bride of Jesus. Corporate worship, serving together, using your giftedness, that actually is a radical, radically obedient uh, uh, thing in our lives to go, I'm going to stay connected to the body of believers. Now, through this past couple of years, what we've learned is that looks different at different times. Some are not well. Some are fighting different things. Some are struggling and wrestling in different ways. And so some are online and some have been down in our theater and some have been here. Many of you have been fighting to come back together. Isn't there something just special about the gathering of God's people together? There's just something encouraging and, and uplifting about being together with the people of the Lord. But it's looked different, but this is still something that we have to choose to be radically obedient to. Now, here's what Paul says. He taught this whole concept of like, you know, uh, uh, encourage one another, warn one another, care for one another. That's a togetherness thing. That's where you get this idea that we have to choose to stay connected to the church because you need the church and the church also needs you. But Paul says here to his brothers and sisters, those who are leaders, that you should honor those and respect those. Now, this is a tough passage because it's sounding like the preacher. When I read it, I'm going, I want to skip this portion, Lord. Just let somebody else preach this. Because it sounds like when you read it, you're going, hey, show me respect. I'm like, that's kind of weird. I don't know about you, but for me, that's a little bit weird. You should show your pastor respect. So here, here's what I did as I prayed through it. I go, God, I don't want to skip the scripture because it's in the scripture. But here's what I'll say. I, instead of speaking this as a command over Riverbend, I just want to say you guys have shown irrational generosity and care and respect, and you've gone with me. And there are four men, some of them are here this morning, that you affirmed as elders who fight for my health, who fight for the spiritual health of this church, who come around me, who support me constantly. We meet regularly, and they are fighting for the health of this church that Satan would not get a foothold anywhere. And so here's what I can say. You have already shown out when it comes to this, and so I just want to say as your pastor, thank you. I feel honored. You can't imagine, but every Sunday morning, I still get nervous when I get up. This morning, it's crazy. I woke up at three o'clock. I couldn't sleep because I was excited about coming to church and getting to be with God's people. That's how much the call is still evident on my heart. I wake up early in the morning. I'm like, God, I really need to sleep a couple more hours. And the Lord's like, uh-uh. God ever do that to you? Just wake you up really early in the morning. God woke me up, and I'm excited about coming and being here. And I wanted to say thank you. But do you know why Paul brought this out to the church at Thessalonica? The church is only six months old, and everybody there is the same age as a believer. And so those who were elders or overseers in the church, they had been Christians the same amount of time as everyone else. And so Paul had to look at them and go, some of you, though, have the call of God to be elder in the church. Some of you have that call. Not everybody accepts that call. Not everybody has that calling. 
But there are some that have that call. And Paul said, so I know they're just like you. I know they're your age, and I know they've been saved as long as you have. But they have this specific calling, and I'm asking you to honor them and to respect them. So that's why he brings this out. But I want to point out one line here, uh, verse 13. So he says, uh, uh, show them great respect and wholeheartedly love because, uh, wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. And so I thought, do you know one of the things that we have to fight for corporately is peace with each other? And I thought about it. The one thing that can take out the move of God is disunity in the church. Some of you, unfortunately, have lived through that. You've seen somewhere that the enemy came in and a church got divided. And listen, Jesus said it, a house divided against itself, what? It falls. And so Paul says this, live, uh, live peacefully with one another. And so let me get what he's getting at. By respecting the elders and respecting the leadership, one of the things you have a responsibility for is to fight for peace across the aisles and to fight for peace across the rows and to fight for peace across the service times and to fight for peace across our city with others who call Jesus their Lord, to fight internally. The battle first is internal for peace, and that's what Paul was getting at. Now, it will be impossible for the world to live at peace with one another. You know why? Because we have an enemy who is constantly dividing but God has not called us to something that is not possible when it comes to this. Next, Paul gives some instructions, verse 14, on how to relate to each other inside the community. So first, stay active in the church. Second, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one pays back for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. You know what this is talking about? How we relate to each other. So live peaceably with each other, stay engaged in the local gathering. But if we want to live for the return and stay radically obedient, here's another thing we have to choose to do. Stay active in the lives of other believers and let them stay active in yours. See, this is the difference in just showing up for an experience in worship and actually being the church. Experience can only take you so far. Meaning if you go, you know what, man, I just love that worship. I just love being a part. These people are so friendly and awesome. Starting, and if you're brand new, we hope you've already felt that part. But did you know that you'll never experience the fullness of what God has for you until you get active in the lives of other believers? God created us for each other. Isolation will kill you. Isolation will take away your joy. Isolation will, will cause you to ponder things God hadn't caused you to ponder. It'll cause you to feel lesser of yourself or more, think more of yourself than you should. But stay active in the lives of other believers. So not just engaged in the church as a, a tender, but active in the lives of other believers. How many times do we know that we should reach out to somebody, but we don't do it? Maybe somebody we hadn't seen in a while. Someone who's headed down a dangerous path and you know they're headed down that path. But do you know what the voice in our head says and why we don't do it? Because we've been told out of context, you know, don't judge anybody. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to judge you. And the reason we say that is that message has been preached so many times where Jesus said, you know, don't try to get a speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. Jesus is being a little bit, you know, exaggerating there, uh, a little bit sarcastic, but... 
He didn't say it's not possible to get the log out of your own eye and then help your friend and help the person you love. But he just said, be sure you do that first. Get the log out of your own eye so that you can help. See, sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's, it's on us when it comes to that, that prompting of the Spirit to reach out to someone. Paul says, warn those who are lazy. We go back through this past year. I think so many people have been exhausted that sometimes we get to the point of burnout where we give up on that hunger that God had in our hearts at one time. You know what I mean? At some point in time, you had a hunger for a passion for something the Lord had put in you. And through this last two years, maybe more than any other time in my life, that has kind of waned. It seems to have faded away some. Back into what God has called you to. Lean back into doing hard things in Jesus' name. That's what he's encouraging. But he says sometimes you may have to reach out to that person that you love to encourage them in this. To encourage them. Not just let them go down the path going, you know what, I don't want to judge them, so I'm not going to say anything. Now, what does it take? If you're going to warn someone who is lazy, you better be prayed up. You better have the right attitude, and you better choose the right timing if you want to do that. Be sensitive to the Spirit. But... Look at the reward. Look what James says here, James 5.20. He says that you can be sure whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So if your soul belongs to Christ, then of course if you die, you're going to be with Christ. But literally, you may be the person in somebody's path that gives them more years to serve the Lord on this earth because you turn them away from a destructive path. We got to be here for each other. That takes radical obedience to stay active in the lives of other believers. And Paul also says this, that we should encourage those who are timid. Now, you may get this. We have to come along people in different ways. You can't use the same uh, formula for every person. You got to come along. Some, sometimes people need uh, encouragement. In fact, I would think a lot of people need encouragement right now. And I would encourage you to be sensitive to the people around you. God may just put somebody on your heart and go, you need to call them and encourage them this week. You need to reach out and let them know this is biblical, to stay active in the lives of other believers and allow them to stay active in your life. He says, take tender care of those who are weak. For us, we would call that saying you matter, people who are struggling. Sometimes people are, are, are sick, and that's why they're weak. Other times, they've just been beaten down by life. You know anybody just been beaten down by life? Just It seems like the world just smacked them back and forth. And if not for the church loving on them, they would have felt totally alone. But this is why we take it so seriously to say you matter. Now, I want to give you a side note here. Love does not seek to tick people off, nor does it constantly look for reasons to be offended. And here's why I bring that up. Because when you decide that I'm going to stay engaged in the local church, I'm going to stay active in the lives of other believers and allow them into my life, you have to also understand that you can't just call hard love every time you go and, and talk to somebody. So love does not seek to tick people off. If that is what you like to do, maybe you're an eight on the Enneagram and you're just like, bring it on. You're just one of those confrontational people. You're like, I love it. Bring it on. I'm not even going to sleep about this battle we just had today. If you're married to one of those people, Lord bless you. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. You got to deal, let the Lord deal with you before you go try to deal with other people in your life. That's that whole getting the log out. If you look to tick people off, guess what? You will. 
And you'll lose a friend. You won't turn anyone back towards the Lord. I have never ticked someone off intentionally and then I'm all of a sudden say, you know what? I would love to follow this same Jesus you follow. But you know what else has happened in our world? People look for reasons to be offended, especially Christians. Instead of looking for ways to love, we look for ways to be offended. Now, I know it's not you. I'm talking about the other service, but I'm just saying Sometimes we look for ways to be offended, don't we? we got to get past that and go, God, I am here to love. There are going to be things I don't agree with. If we ever get to the point where there are not people sitting on the rows and people that you're doing life with that think different from you and may even offend you by how they live, then we need to get right with the Lord and start loving people again. Get back out into the lives of people who are not like us. We're coming up into a series in a couple of weeks called Project Open. I'm going to lay it on during is our call. Listen, the church is the hope of the world because Jesus said we are. He's the hope of the world and he let us be the hope. But we have to be very careful to be sure that we're doing what we do in love and that we're allowing other people to love us. See, sometimes we use scripture to get out of staying active in people's lives instead of leaning in. Paul says this, that we should be patient with everyone. That's kind of the end bookend to that, encourage one another and warn one another and care for one another. You have to be patient. Why should we be patient? Because God's patient with you. You ever wondered, like, if God gets angry at us when we don't move as fast in our journey with him as we really should? And we know we should. God, I know I should be further along and more committed to you by now, but I just not. And here's what it says. The Bible teaches us that God is patient and long-suffering. That's an old word that I love. God suffers long for us, and he waits on us. And so he says that we should be patient with each other. Now, look at this one right here. Here's one of the hardest areas. Uh, over the years, God's had to beat me up on this one. Is this verse 15. Here's what he said. He said that, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Stay active in doing good, but not getting even. How hard is it to do good to somebody who's hurt you? You may not even realize this, but the Lord could return at that very moment that somebody has done you wrong and you're deciding for them instead. Think about that. The very moment you have decided to do good to someone who's actually harmed you, and I get it. There's all kind of escapes for this. But, you know, am I supposed to turn the other cheek? Am I supposed to let people run over me? No, I'm not saying dangerous situations or abusive. I'm not saying that. But most of these situations, we love to pay back evil for evil or just give somebody the cold shoulder. And here's what he says. He says that we should not pay back evil for evil, but always try to do good. Why? Ask that question. Why? Did you know that God's keeping up with everything? And one day when, when the Lord returns... We're all going to give account. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to bring vengeance where it's needed. What would happen in the church if we left revenge to the Lord? You ever thought about that? What if you just gave it to the Lord and said, God, he hurt me, she hurt me, they hurt me bad, Lord. You don't even know. And God's like, yeah, I do. I've seen all of it. They beat you up. Life's beat you up. Satan's beat you up. One day, though, he's going to take vengeance and we don't have to. I don't like that truth. I do not like that doctrine, by the way. It's okay. 
or not like some, some of the things you read and study. I do not like the, this idea that, that I am to leave vengeance to the Lord. But you know what I do find? My heart is a whole lot more at peace when I just give it to the Lord and go, God, that, that's on you, Lord. I'm going to let you deal with that so that I can go on loving people. Because if not, I'm going to become a cynic. And I'm going to stop trusting people. And I'm going to stop being good to people. And I'm going to stop being generous. And matter of fact, I'm just going to stop going to that church even like the pastor anyway. He hurt my feelings that day when I walked by him and he was getting a donut and he didn't even see me. You know what I mean? Not that that's happened, but it has. I want to show you what Jesus, Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus and it, and it came true. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He was wrongly accused. He had the ability to call angels to crush his enemies with a single breath. And look what it says. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. How hard is that? How hard is that? And here's the thing. We should speak up for our brothers and our neighbors. We are to be a voice for the voiceless. We are to stand for justice. So it's not that the Bible's not for social justice, by the way. We are called to speak up for our neighbors, for our brothers, for our sisters. We're called to do that. Here's what what, what Jesus modeled. When people abused him, he didn't say a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. You know what my prayer this week was? God, help us live for the return by pouring out mercy on people. People that don't, God, you poured out so much mercy on me. What could Jesus have said while he was on going to the cross and going through pain? He could have been calling out Joe Payton's name and saying, I can't believe I got to do this for this cat. I mean, let's just be real. He was man. I believe he probably, he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he kept his mouth shut. I think about this guy. I read a book, uh, Louis Zamperini. I read the book Unbroken, and then later a movie came out. But I, but I read the rest of the story in the book. Uh, this guy was shot down uh, in World War II and became a Japanese POW and was abused and tortured and starved for years. But the war ended. He was one of the, the, the few and blessed that survived and got out. Afterward, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, spent the rest of his life preaching Jesus and loving kids uh, to the Lord. But you know what he did? After he got well, it took him a long time. His body was never the same again from all the beatings. As soon as the walls came down, he went back to Japan, and he tried to locate every one of those people who had abused and tortured him to tell them that Jesus loved them and he had forgiven them. That overwhelmed me in that moment because I can't even, you know, it's hard for me to forgive the guy who cut me off on 985. Don't judge me. I feel judged. To say, Lord, bless him. He's probably going somewhere. It's more important than me. I, naturally. But I start reading these stories about how God's been working. I'm like, man, that's powerful. Now, Paul closes this letter with a shotgun approach. Advice on how the inner life. So first is this, this, uh, if we're going to be radically obedient, stay engaged in the church. Second is stay engaged in the life of the believers. This one turns inner, though. Here's where he, he ends with, the, with what's going on inside of you. You want to be ready for the return? Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And here's number three. Stay attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Stay attuned to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. What's God doing in and around you right now that he wants you to take notice of? Paul gives us some sort of the shotgun approach to these short sentences. He says this, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. You ever said, I really don't know what God's will for my life is. Let me give you some help. Be thankful in all circumstances. That's what he says. 
It's God's will for you. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Do not scoff at prophecies. Everything that is said, hold on to Stay away from every kind of evil. So he says, always be joyful. Does that mean that even when life is really hard and when you're suffering that you have to be happy? No. No, it doesn't. It means that your soul is so anchored and so secure and, and believing that God is bringing that good work to completion in your life. You're so sure of that that you can find your song in the middle of the valley. It's crazy, but sometimes when you're going through a deep valley of suffering or pain or loneliness or sickness, it's crazy how music and the song of worship has been powerful through those times. It's like if you can find your joy song, you don't have to feel joy, but as you begin to worship the Lord again, it's all of a sudden like this joy just comes over your heart. You go, God, I'm still hurting. I'm still grieving. I'm still feeling this, but I have joy in the middle, and the song begins to come out of you. I can't completely explain it, but God designed music as a corporate worship tool all the way back to the, to the Old Testament of the Bible. But sometimes you can barely drag yourself here, but do you ever notice how the Lord begins to speak healing and joy in the midst of us worshiping together? In that moment, you start feeling the Lord. He says, always be joyful. He says this, never stop praying or pray without ceasing, which by the way, in the Greek language, this is the shortest verse in all of scripture. Pray always, pray constantly. So I thought about it. How do you pray constantly? I mean, <laughs> you had to go like walk through your life like this. Is this the posture? And I started studying this out years ago. Like, God, I, I want to be radically obedient and pray always, but Lord, I got to drive and I got to like work and I got to get stuff done. Do you know what pray always means? Be constantly aware that the Holy Spirit is with you. What is he saying and what do you may want to say? Don't let it go more than, more than about five minutes without saying, God, I know you're with me today. God, thank you for your love today. Those little bitty prayers, as you go through your life, this constant awareness of the presence of the Lord. See, awareness leads to listening. Listening leads to action. Action leads to living for the return. That's how it works. And then he says this, be thankful in all circumstances. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to wrestle with this as we wrap this up this morning. Stifling the Holy Spirit, another word is quench the Holy Spirit, and it's a firefighter's word. Biblically speaking, it's a firefighter's word. It's like you see a fire blazing, you come and put water on it or a wet blanket on it. You do something to put the fire out. And listen, this is where we have to lean in if we're gonna be ready for the return. Do not put the fire of the Spirit out in your life. That's what Paul was saying. See, if you've ever felt that fire of conviction, I've been sitting in a church service before listening to the word of God be preached and my heart got under conviction. And you have two things you can do with that. You can pretend like you're so holy that you don't need any adjustments in your life or you can open your heart up and let the Lord in. But if you put that fire out, if you keep putting a wet blanket on it while the Lord's moving in your heart, eventually he'll just kind of leave you alone on that area for a while. Not stifling the spirit means, God, as soon as you burn me with the sting of conviction within, I want to be responsive, Lord. But also, we've also felt that fire of call to action, too. I believe there are men or women that have been called to certain in their life, and God has made it clear, but that fire, you kind of put a wet blanket on it. Nah, nah, nah. Lord, you want me to make a career change? God, you want me to change this about my life? And it's difficult. Don't put the fire out. 
You know what it means to stifle the spirit, to not believe the spirit can work or to not expect him to. Just kind of, God can, but he probably won't. Or it could be deeper. We could actually have open sin and unrepented in our life. And you're going, God, I want you to bless me. But he's like, listen, radical obedience. Come back to me in that area. Verse 20, he says, don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything and hold on to what is good. When the Holy Spirit reveals something, maybe a word of knowledge, the Bible calls it, or a revelation, the Bible calls them. Here's the thing. We should not scoff at it and automatically write it off, but neither would should we just blindly accept it. What does he say? We must test it. How do you do that? When you think God's speaking to you something or somebody speaks something over you and they claim it's from the Lord, first you should go to Scripture and say, does this align with what God's already written? Because if it doesn't, it's not true. If it counters God's Word. And then also, you should go to some other mature spirit-filled believers and say, here's what I think the Lord's speaking to me. Here's what somebody spoke over me. What do you think about this? Will you pray with me? Jesus warned that there were going to be people coming before the return of Christ and they would be false prophets trying to deceive the church. Matthew 24. And here's what he lands with here. He says, hold on to what is good. Throw away the lies. Hold on to what is good out of all of this. And so I want to wrap up today here and look at our own lives for a moment with a couple of questions. I'm so glad you tuned in online today and wanted to take just a second just to to talk straight to you. A couple of questions for you, and the first one is this. Is there an area of your life where you know you need to be radically obedient? Is there an area of your life where you need to be radically obedient? I know the, uh, just the, Seems like right now we're in sort of a lull, an apathetic lull in life. Our hunger uh, for good things has kind of waned. All of the stress and pressure, the the, the dopamine, the living on adrenaline for this past almost two years now, I think it's waned. And what happens is even in our walks with God, we can feel so pushed back. Areas where we used to be obedient and we're not obedient anymore. And so here's, here's my question for you. Is there an area of your life where you just need to come back to God and go, God, I need to be obedient to you again. I need to be obedient to your word again. I've kind of taken things into my own hands. And God, I want to, I want to give it back to you today and say, God, I'm ready to obey some of you may be watching online. Listen, this is not a slam. I'm so glad that you're watching online. But if you are physically and, and able to gather with the body of believers, I want to invite you back. Stay engaged with the local church in the best way that your health allows and that your life allows. But it takes commitment to do that. But listen, to be ready for the Lord's return, we have to decide that God, I want to be radically obedient and staying active in the lives of other believers and letting other people stay active in mine. Small groups is one of the best ways that we have as a church to do that. And also serving together on mission, Project Hope, and just getting our lives around others, getting our kids' lives around other believers who are going to kind of filter into us. We're going to overflow into them, and they're going to flow over onto us, and it's how we're designed. It's how this passage was written. And then this last piece, stay attuned to the Spirit of God in your life. God wants to speak to you. He desires to speak to you. He's working all around you. We have to get back to that quiet place, though, to go, God, I want to I hear you. And so the second question is this. Is there an area where you need daily surrender? So radical obedience is a choice, but sometimes we can make the choice on Sunday, but then Monday morning comes. 
See, this is a Monday morning question. Is there an area where you need to be daily surrendered? Because you wake up in the morning and go, God, I want to surrender today in my life to you. I want to surrender, um, Lord, some time for you today. I want to surrender again back to love in my life and how I'm treating my family. Lord, I want to bring this addiction that, that has somehow gotten a grip on my life again, and I want, to, I want to submit it to you today, and I want to be daily surrendered to this area. God, I want to be filled with the Spirit instead. And so is there an area where you need to come today and just go, God, radical obedience. I want you to be blessed. I want you to step into the full anointing and blessing of God, but it comes uh, at a cost, and that cost is you deciding to be radically obedient to the Word of God and daily surrender to the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you today. You know what the Holy Spirit's doing on your heart. Maybe just to say, yes, Jesus, here I am, and start fresh right now. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you feel the Lord drawing you today, just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm ready to make you my Lord. And in saying that, what you're saying is, I'm ready to surrender to you right now for the first time. And I want to surrender to you every day as my Lord, as my boss. Whatever your word says, whatever your spirit leads me to do, God, I'm in. To just say that. And then as you say that, we want to celebrate with you today. And so no matter what you're going through or what you're surrendering over, uh, will you shoot us a message and let us know? We have a prayer team that would love to pray. We also have people we love to follow up. If you're surrendering your life to Christ today, uh, we have a baptism coming up next week. And listen, we would love for you to come here and to go public with your faith or to help you find somewhere, a local church nearby you, to go and, and let your faith be known by being baptized in in Jesus' name to tell everybody, listen, you are loved. God has a purpose for your life. I want to help you live for the return. Listen, we're all living for the return, but I want to be, do everything we can as a church to help us together live for the return of Jesus. Our time is shorter than we think. So you just know today that you can surrender to the Lord in whatever area of life he's calling you to. And you know you got a church family that loves you. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.